Training, mindset, integrity, incremental improvement. What can you do better today? Start right here with the Pendola Project. Hey now, welcome back to the Pendola Project. I'm your host, as always, Matt Pendola. Today I have a very special guest, Mr. Hank Bingham, and then along with Billy Haug, who you've heard too many times, but don't worry, Hank's going to make it interesting today, okay? But first, before we start talking to Hank and why he's here and what you can learn from him, I want to talk a little bit about our new program that just came out. It's ready on our app, and that's for Run Stronger. It's a strength program for runners and really for runners who are specializing in anything middle distance to long distance or even ultra running. Billy helped me with the app. We put together, geez, I mean, hundreds of videos, didn't we, Billy? Yeah, it was definitely a long process, but I think it came out really well. So uh, I'm excited to see what people think. Yeah, I, I couldn't have done it without you for sure. It's uh, I'm pretty sure that I'm allergic to technology for sure. But I'm pretty sure that technology is allergic to me. If I'm within, you know, maybe 10, 15 feet, I'm pretty sure things just stop working. So it's been really helpful to have Billy actually put a lot of this together on the app. And then, of course, I designed the movements and the programs, and it was a lot of fun. We've been working on it since January, really, huh, Billy? Yeah, it's been it's been a work in progress for sure, but it makes sense, you know, it's something of that quality. It's not going to be done in a few days. So I think most people uh, are going to be uh, pretty impressed with it and uh, get a lot out of it, too. What do you mean most people? All people are going to be impressed. Well, you know, I can't, like, I don't want to get sued or anything. There's <laughs> not, like, a buyback guarantee or anything, you know. Actually, I would be happy to refund anybody's money who is not happy with it because... But that's the whole thing, right? You're going to be so happy, but there's just, there's just no way. It's <laughs> statistically improbable. I'm not good at this whole sales thing. It's just, just know this, guys, those of you listening, that we took our time with this. I worked with John Hodges at Nevada Physical Therapy. They'll be on the podcast soon. We came up with a self-assessment series that you will take yourself through so we can really take a look at what programming would serve you best. And depending on your goals, we can even have you doing some running, evaluating your gait, and then coming up with movements that should serve you well. So that would be a a different uh, part of the program, but certainly what we can include. So I want to just talk now a little bit more about Hank and why he's here. I was fortunate enough to be Hank's coach in high school, along with Billy's at the same time. In fact, the first year I was coaching, I met these two yahoos. And uh, Hank was, he was a very determined young man and not the fastest guy out there yet, but I could see the spark in his eyes. I was always excited to see the joy and love he had in the sport. And I will say that his dad, Todd, and I talked one day when he was at one of our first cross-country meets, and Todd was just telling me about how much Hank just loved running, period. And realizing as a coach that it's about having the joy in the sport and going building from there. And I remember it wasn't too long after that that Hank started to show some real promise in his racing as well. So, Hank, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about your history, though, where you came from and where you're at now? Yeah. First off, thank you for having me on. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, man. Stoked to be here. Um, so I, like Matt said, I 
uh, began running at Minogue as a freshman. He came in to the program my sophomore year, and it was a totally different coaching style. I remember doing um, uh, Big Four on the track. I was like, what is this? What is this Big is, Four? This is interesting. That is uh, you stand in place and you go through basically perfect running form over and over and over and over again. And it, it teaches your system to run efficiently and effectively, which is it, that's what it did for me. So it's one of the skill drills that we use back mm -hmm. then. We still use it today. And that's when you have ankle flexion, knee flexion, hip flexion. But we kind of call it dubbed it big four as well, because when you are in that position, if you look from the side, your foot being under your hip, it looks like the number four. So mm -hmm. we, we kind of dubbed it mm -hmm. big four, but that's a skill you drill. You can't just call it four. It just sounds weird. It just, yeah. yeah. It's got to <laughs> be, big four. It's gotta be big four. And before we get, we're going to have some fun talking about your, uh, your history with us. And I have the theme on Monday's podcast was more about facing your fears. So it's called feel the fear and do it anyway, and how to avoid choking or, or too much pressure on yourself or freezing as Billy calls it. And so that is something you should listen to. It came out on Monday, just before this podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about your experience with that and how you overcame some of those fears, Hank, and even yep. you as well, Billy, I think that's a great theme, but uh, what did you do since high school? So since high school, I ran track and cross country at Oregon Institute of Technology. It's based in Klamath Falls. Um, I ran four years of cross country. I did three years of track. Um, my uh, last year of cross country, our team went to the national meet, ranked 24th, and we placed 10th in the country. Beautiful. As a team. And, and what, what division was this again? This was NAIA. Okay. This is, this is separate from NCAA. Gotcha. Um, and you had to like stop in the middle of or after every mile and do like an algorithm because you guys were the <laughs> the, the tech school. The tech right? school. Is that right? <laughs> Unfortunately, no. Um, but we uh, we're smart. So. <laughs> so after after that, what did you do with your degree? Or, or uh, yeah. So I graduated with um, a bachelor's in science, uh, uh, biology, health science. And that's my original plan was to go on to be a physician. Um, I've had a change of heart recently and I want to go be a physician's assistant. So I am going to use that degree with some job experience I'm getting right now to go and apply for that school. So I'm, I'm waiting to hear back from UNR and a couple of other schools. As a coach, I always emphasize learning about butt and gut, you know, <clears throat> but it seems like now you're you're focused on uh, understanding the butt a little bit more. Yeah, I'm, I'm working as an endotech in town. <laughs> so I'm assisting in colon. I, if you would have told me out of high school, like, oh, Hank, you're going to work at a colonoscopy clinic. We should at, probably put a 24. warning uh, in the beginning of this podcast yeah. that their uh, butt jokes are ahead. Butt jokes are ahead. Watch out. Um, yeah, if you would have told me that in high school, I'd be like, nah, I don't, I don't think that. I don't think I'd be doing that. But here I am. Here I am. Just a, another facet of the human body. So beautiful. And yeah. so when you are working now as a tech, are these long hours that you're doing, um, it's about, it's usually a eight to nine hour day, five days a week. Uh, and it's standing, uh, the majority of the time, um, you're bringing patients in starting IVs, uh, when you're in procedure rooms, you're taking biopsies, assisting the doctor with, um, polyps, um, biopsies of cancer, other different uh, 
diseases of the GI tract, um, and then waking people people out of sedation. Okay. Yeah. Because I've always said, I'm biased, of course, but mm. the statistics are there that the athletes that do cross-country in high school, statistically, they go on to have very successful careers, and statistically, they are the most successful overall of any other high school athlete. Now, of course, that doesn't mean everyone. So if you're in other sports, I'm no, I'm not. But what I want to say here is that I think you learn a lot of discipline in doing a sport like cross country distance running in general. You don't tend to get as much recognition. You don't, uh, even when you are uh, winning races, schools paying a little bit more attention to uh the football players even even when they have a losing streak right Right. and so i i think that builds into just turning you into a hard worker that does the work even when nobody's watching is the kind of way i think of it am i right with that is that i would say you're right with it absolutely most um you know i look at my teammates from college uh, a lot of them are engineers because we're a tech school Um, a lot of them are engineers right now full-on engineers um one is applying to medical school yada yada it's the wonderful thing about running is um it makes you honest like you you face yourself you uh look yourself in the mirror and figure out what you need to do to get to where you want to go and it translates right from the track and the cross-country field to um your day-to-day life so right now i'm using endotech this endotech position as a stepping stone it's for me to um see healthcare in a very real light it's for me to um, figure out what i like what i don't like so that when i do go and get my degree at pa school then i can really apply my passion to um hopefully helping people on a broader spectrum that makes sense it does make sense and in college you never won any awards did you no (laughs) <laughs> not really um what about your senior year besides so like senior year um of college but the cross country meet so we um our team was composed of eight guys that year and um i had just come off of stress fractures in both of my tibias we're going to talk about that in a little bit yes we are going to talk about that in a little bit so um Coming into that season, uh, I finally realized, and this has something to do with my anxiety. The, you know, I've, I've, I struggle with terrible race anxiety amongst other forms of anxiety. So when I came into my senior year, I finally realized that, yes, I need to address this anxiety somehow. And I said, okay, you only have one senior left. What if you just enjoyed yourself? Put in the work, but enjoy yourself, right? And that's what I did. I was not the fastest guy on the team. Hell, I wasn't even the smartest guy on the team. But the one thing that I could do, and Matt, I think you can attest to this, is that I wanted to uplift my teammates. Because I knew that if I couldn't do it, my teammate could do it. And if I could help him do that, then we're reaching the goal. That's such an important point that I think a lot of times we don't talk enough about, which culture of course is a part of this podcast and the conversations around it but when you have somebody with that kind of an attitude that just wants to they may realize they're not going to be the top runner 
but how can I help to uplift the team so that we can place 10 at nationals, right? And that's where I think guys like you can really help and really shine, and it really makes a big difference that you're on the team, even if you're not one of the top guys. Yeah, absolutely, and that applies to every facet of life now, for sure. Being out of college, being, you know, getting a full-time job, absolutely. And your coach recognized you for that, didn't he? He did. He did. Um, the award that I received was um, just a wonderful accolade. It made me feel very uh, fulfilled, like that my work was getting recognized. And it's not a uh, it's not a glorious job to to be, you know, gluing everybody together to make sure that the team's together to reach the goal. Like there's going to be you're helping the star to be the star, sort of sort of thing. If that makes sense. It does. Actually, as I mentioned, I was in Salt Lake last week. And one of the things that really struck me is how much the athletes were there to also help each other, not just themselves, but help each other. And within really hours of starting the camp, you would have sworn that these athletes were best friends and teammates, although many of them had just met each other. And on the coaching end of things, I have to say I was so impressed with the coaches there because it's all about win-win. The coaches leave their egos at the door, and it's about serving the athletes. And so I think that when you have an athlete that is mature enough to say, I'm here for a reason. I may not be the fastest guy, but I'm going to help to serve my team and be a part of this experience and really make a difference, and that's what you did. Yeah, and I should also say that it's, it's full circle, you know. I, I helped push these guys. One of the, the number one runner on our team was eighth in the country overall. He's an All-American. It adds to his All-American streak. I think he's at five or six All-American finishes in that conference or in that division right now. Um, but the award that I received at the banquet, I stood up in front of all the best teams in the country, got to see that receive that award. It's full circle. Like, your work does not go unnoticed. It's just not the, like, most obvious way that it gets noted. Yeah, and it's not your end game. It's not why you were doing it. Yeah, exactly. But I'm glad I will. Maybe I have some, we'll talk about some of your running and training, and I might have some criticisms there, but I love the fact that your coach recognized that. That was wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah, and it was it was. Yeah, great. I was just going to, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was just going to say, Hank is the type of person who would have done that regardless without any, knowing that there was probably going to be no recognition in the end. Uh, without any guarantee he did it because it aligned with his values and he knew it was the right thing to do and how he could contribute and it just happened to be that hey you did such a great job that people were like hey this person probably should get recognized for something i want to talk about seal team six (laughs) which uh i just actually before the podcast started i was the coach of your team but i didn't even know you guys are calling yourself team six (laughs) so we'll get to that that's interesting uh, but that that first year that I coached you two was actually my first year of coaching high school. And we did actually, we had a very small school that was in Division One, So it was atypical in that sense. But uh, the school had actually lobbied to be in Division One. I, I think more for football. Yeah, I think they call yeah. it like 4A here yeah, back per, per the state back of Nevada. Mm-hmm. It's basically the equivalent of like the top division. The right. Elite. Right. And so being a, such a small school, I didn't have a lot of uh, runners on the team the first year. In fact, I think I had a total of 12 runners, including girls. 
So I don't even think we had uh, one boy that could be out if we wanted to place. Which is really important for cross country because some listeners might not know that even though it seems like a very individual sport, which it is, mm-hmm. it's also how it's scored is very team-oriented, yes. which is why the teamwork aspect is so important. You get scored with points based on where you finish, so it's not just like, oh, fastest time, okay, we're just going to give it to you. Mm-hmm. So there's some strategy involved in that sense, and the more runners you have, the more depth to your team, the same way the more depth you would have with the basketball team as far as the players on the bench is super important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that nobody on the team had ever been to state before am i right i don't know i'm not sure i mean maybe donald donald yeah. had not actually donald had not if no. donald didn't then i don't think anybody else did. well i just gotta say i'm like just complete savage because first year we went to state so that was my first experience across <laughs> i'm totally kidding but uh, no it just happened to be my first year was when matt was there so i really had no prior experience before that i did not as a coach plan on going to state that year uh, we were a developing team. Mm-hmm. I'd shout out to Donald Bernard, though. I mean, yep. that kid was – he was so passionate about getting not only to state, but from the beginning of the year, he wanted to be in the top three. And he had never been to state before. So that was uh, a big statement to make. But, you know, you put your goal out there. And I knew right about when we went to Stanford and he was 10th overall, I knew that we were on our way. And he ended up coming in second uh, overall in the state. And the kid who won, this kid named Nick Hartle, he was the number one 800-meter runner in the country at the time. So, um, you know, a lot of competition. And then the kid who was third that he had never beaten before is Jordan Cardenas that we also had here at the uh, facility who was part of our team and our culture. And he was Gatorade Runner of the Year. He was easily the the strongest runner in the state at any given time and um so to to be to to beat uh jordan that day was a huge a huge win for for donald but i also think talking about these wins we all win and when we realized as a team that donald was going right up front and right for it and he was so gutsy um, I think that that is what started turning the lights on for everybody else because even though as a coach, I wasn't prescribing necessarily as much intensity for the rest of you guys or the volume Donald was doing was never as uh, as much as some high school runners do, but, but he was more ready to do a little bit more volume than the rest of you. But I think that you looked at the fact that he was – still doing similar workouts, similar training progressions. You guys were on, in other words, a progression that worked for you, but it was a team progression. And I think you started thinking, well, if he's doing this, and he took, I don't know, I, I don't know how much time off his 5K time offhand, but he was running probably a minute faster or so than the year before. So I think that that might have uh, helped you guys to really go for it. But I all I know is that was a special day at State when – we actually placed, uh, we made it state, but then I think people thought we were just going to just be there and also ran team, but we ended up being fourth. I liken it to like, you know, I just finished the last dance, the ESPN show. It's kind of like the 92 Bulls. You know, we had Michael Jordan, Donald out there leading the pack. Mm-hmm. Hank, you can be Pippin if you want. We'll sure, call man. Gray, Gray's Dennis Rodman for uh, reasons uh, that I, go beyond this podcast. I think that's, that's really what it was, you know. It's yeah. appropriate. <laughs> I like that analogy. That's good. Yeah, because be- <laughs> I like that too. But because before we went to state at regionals, we weren't even ranked in our conference. We weren't ranked in the top three. 
we were, I believe, ranked sixth out of, I think it was, what, seven teams in our conference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we, then we got third at, at regionals and then fourth at state. So it was a special year. But what I want to talk about is the mindset went behind that, but then also maybe some of the setup for anxiety in the future. And that's where, as a coach now, I try to realize that with success does come extra stress, and we have to prepare ourselves and learn how to deal with that once eyes are now going to be on us. So, Hank, we'll start with you first, but um, talk to me a little bit about your career after after that first high school season with me, and then what happened from there in that next couple of years. Yeah, sounds good. Um, so the first high school season with you, uh, that's when I got the running bug. I was all in. Uh, pretty sure I trained with you that summer and um, just started really becoming a running nut, which was awesome for me as a teenager. Um, but my junior, so my junior season of cross country was with Billy and Billy and I were on a mission. We were, we'd seen what Donald did and we wanted to do that or better. So, um, we started putting ourselves out there. And like Matt said, when you put yourself out there, that increases the pressure that you, that you put on yourself. People are looking at you now. They're expecting you to perform. And we, my junior year, I was learning to deal with that pressure. Um, and I don't, we barely missed state our junior year in cross country, right, Bill? So your junior year, my senior year? Your senior year, that's right. Yeah. Sorry, I mm-hmm. thought we were the same age. Jeez. <laughs> um. <laughs> no, I'm an old man now. Dude. Yeah, it's yeah, right. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, but, um, yeah, we barely missed state um, my junior year in cross, and that was pretty uh, devastating for me um, because as a high schooler, I really lacked perspective. So if, if any high schoolers are listening to this, um, or if I could go back and talk to my high school self, I'd say, getting some perspective. How? I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but go search for it because it, you're going to enjoy the process that much more. Well, I can tell you as a coach, it was hard to watch when both of you just barely missed making it. In part because both of you had done so much work. And Billy, you can talk a little bit about what happened to you with your injury. But you had done so much work to get there and to be one of the top guys. But you played it safe that day. Yeah. You both did. You both ran together. And you both, I think, thought you were going to make it. Because traditionally, the top four team made it. You guys were 13 and 14. But that year, it was the 12th guy. It's a it's a point system. So depending on how what teams, on what, what athletes on what teams are ahead of you, it's, it's hard to explain, but basically you have to be one of the top five individual guys if your team doesn't qualify. And our team didn't qualify that year, but you two traditionally would have been in those spots. But I was also, as a coach, frustrated because I knew that you were easily 
supposed to be really in the top seven, the both of you. So you played it a little safe, but that's where we're talking about this conversation around feel the fear and do it anyway. And we played it safe, didn't we? Well, yeah, and I would say played it safe, but ended up uh, working just as hard, if not harder. Because, mm-hmm. you know, cross country mm-hmm. is one of those sports with the, with the 5K is you have some time to think. So, uh, especially at that state course, we were doing two loops of this of this fixed of this fixed uh, um, route around the park. You get to think a lot, and you realize where you stand in uh, is relation to your time and the rest of the field. And I remember about halfway through, and you were yelling <laughs> yelling at us from the sidelines too, like, "Hey, we need to you got to pull out something here. Or, you know, everything's going to get screwed." So yeah. we ended up like just you know going balls to the wall, like going crazy. And I remember crossing that line like never being in that much pain before and mm-hmm. like having given it all just for it to slip away by a few seconds. So yeah. that's even more literally torturous. a few seconds. Literally yeah. A few seconds. Because when I say play it safe, to be clear, what I mean is instead of putting yourselves in the top seven, which is first team results, you were co- coming out slower and then you wanted to just pick people off, which is not a bad plan. But I felt like as a coach, it was because you didn't have the faith in yourselves to just be up there. I think we were doomed from the start and we I, didn't know it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So going from that point forward, we obviously discussed it and we had, you know, we kind of doubled down though as in our fitness and uh, we got even stronger in the gym, those type of things. And of course, our conditioning, I think was spot on going into that track season as a coach though. And I'll get to this uh, in a few minutes after we talk about what happened, but I have learned a lot since then because I was much more at that time focused on the physical. And I just kept going back to my own plan saying, what could I have done differently? And not enough about how could we have thought about this differently. So that taught me a lot as a coach. But over that winter, we continued to train hard. And then it came down. We're going to skip ahead now to outdoor track regional championships again you're both trying to qualify in the same event for state which is the two mile what happened so in that race and again bill and i are neck and neck because that's our mo that whole season was bill and i were just about the same which i was shaking my head all season because i'm like i kept telling you guys every race one of you needs to take a chance and then the other can follow and then try to break the other athlete and take a chance. You guys can work together, but at a certain point, somebody's got to take a chance. The fact that you guys are always within a second or two of each other at the end of the race tells me that you're just not taking chances and you're just playing it safe again. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So we're, um, we're running that race hot. It's very hot. It's at the Monty ranch and, um, it's a group of three. I think it was us and Kai running and um it was lap i think it was lap four and i and i went to break away and you two passed me and you guys gained 100 meters or something on me so and i was like "Uh oh this is it like and by the way you mentioned a kid named kai he ended up being one of the best two milers in the country Mm -hmm. so we knew that it was really hot and he was just he was just going to make sure he qualified, but we knew he was kind of out of our league as far as competing. So it really would come down to, you only have three spots. So it really came down to his was going to be, unless something crazy happened, like he passed out, he was going to, he was going to have a spot and then it would come down to you two battling it out. Mm -hmm. Now, as a coach, I was a little bit conflicted because Billy had come back from a major injury 
And so you were a junior and he had never as an individual qualified for state. And it would have been the story of the, of the decade had Billy qualified. It still was a huge story because by that point, Billy, you and Billy had run 10 flat for the two mile, but he was told he may never run again. Billy, tell them about why that is. Yeah. So, I mean, you can probably get the full story um, in my first ever episode we did with the podcast. Uh, I go a little bit more in depth there, but just to give some context, I said by a car my junior year of high school, so 2012 uh, in February, right before the start of the track season, and ended up suffering pretty uh, catastrophic injury to, to my lower left limb, had compartment syndrome, had to go through a few surgeries over the matter of a couple weeks, and it was just really uncertain whether how the recovery would go and what my prognosis looked like. But I had an excellent team of, of healthcare providers, surgeons, nurses, all that stuff, and then a really good support group. Uh, of course, you as well, Matt, coaching, uh, that really helped me get back to where I was before, if not better. But yeah, just to set some context there, basically I had to miss out that track season, was able to compete my senior year. So it was really just uh, an awesome experience for me to be able to be back out there on the track and proving myself even with all that behind me. Yeah, no, it, it was really quite amazing. But because of the injury, I remember that as a coach, I felt like we weren't going to be able to get enough of those energy leaks to run a fast enough mile. And we had focused on trying to get, I don't know if you remember, but you were much more interested in a, a, a fast mile and being competitive there. But last kind of Second half of the season, we decided, okay, we really, if we want to try to get to state, we need to compete in the two, which was tough because then we knew it would come down to you two. Mm -hmm. So um, back to the where we're at at the race. So um, Bill is 100 and some odd meters in front of me. And I start saying, okay, it's over. He's qualifying. But I think about what Bill would do if he was in that situation. And I said he would not let me run away with it. So I put my head down and started eating off little sections of the track every lap. And last lap of the race, I'm getting chills right now <laughs> remembering <laughs> this. But last lap of the race, I, was, I realized that I was in striking distance. And so to touch on what Bill was saying, like he, he had that horrible accident. He came back from like compartment syndrome as a gnarly um, – so, thing to happen to your leg it's dangerous so he comes back to this he never ever had the mindset that anything happened to him in practice he was running he was there to run he wasn't injured he wasn't crippled he didn't want anybody to give him any pity and by the way in our monday episode we talked about our positive denial which is actually that explains Ooh, how like billy that. was thinking yeah sometimes yeah, it's good. good to that's have good. some denial right yeah. That's exactly what it was. So as I'm closing on Bill, for me, I said, I have to, I have to do this. I have to take a chance and I have to, um, I have to run to my full potential. I'm not going to, I'm not going to not run to my full potential. And as we were, um, Bill heard me at the 200 meter, meter mark come up behind him and we started sprinting all out. And I remember as we turned the turn to go 
for the last 100 meters, we both yelled state at the top of our lungs at the same exact time. Wow, I don't remember that till just now. It's yeah. kind of like the end of Braveheart where he's like, freedom! Yeah, like, that was honestly what was going on. I didn't actually yeah. know that. We just yelled state! Because we knew one of us was gone. Yeah. So. And all I remember was yelling and all my breath running out and my vision went tunneled and I could only see my single lane on the track. And I just... I didn't even I didn't hear Bill. I didn't hear anybody cheering. It was just straight awesome. all the way through the line. And when I looked up and looked around, I was in front. So I had done this and I looked around and I said, What have I done? <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, I took a chance finally, right? And because of Bill's mindset, like I didn't realize the gravity of what Bill was doing that season. And finally settled in like oh wow this is you decided to take something so you need to do something with it right and i remember matt coming up to me and saying make this race count state right um so crazy race i'll never forget it and when um i listened to the earlier podcast with when you were saying that story bill and it was that race has been something that I've thought about a lot because of my decision that I made that day. And Matt, as you know, and Bill, as you know, I went to state and I did not run a very good race at all. And I was really unhappy about it when I was down in state um, for a number of reasons, anxiety, un ridiculous pressure that I put on myself as a high schooler, etc. But as I was listening to that podcast where you were saying it and you were like, this was a pivotal moment to make my choice to go and row i was like oh that's that's what it was like this was meant to happen sort of thing everything happens for a reason and the silver lining i love that you brought that into the conversation with billy <clears throat> but then also with you i think we talk a lot about how i think personally as coaching a lot of especially younger athletes they have almost that perception that if they accomplish something great for themselves or when they do that, that now every race after that is just going to happen that way. Cake. No, it is not. You got to earn it again and, and again. again and again. Exactly. And I call them six second decisions. You have to constantly make that decision mm -hmm. every six seconds yeah. that you're in it to win it, mm -hmm. that you are going to put it all in again. And that's, that's mm -hmm. what makes a great racer but it doesn't just – you don't just have that past performance and now my body knows how to do it. Now I right. can just click that off again. It's grit, man. You you grit your teeth and you make it happen. You, you'll be better at it than you were before, but you still have to make that conscious decision to say, I'm going to go through this pain. I'm going to um, – prove myself right sort of thing you know now as a yes i do and now as a coach i still didn't learn my lesson enough because i remember after your disappointment at state we went for a long run this was in vegas mm -hmm. and we were just talking yeah, yeah we we did it well it wasn't sorry it wasn't a long run it was a recovery run yeah. but we were just talking and i decided that i was going to make an even better program for you right, over the right. summer and it, and it worked in so many ways. Like that season was really phenomenal. You actually won your first open race yep. in cross country. Mm -hmm. And I remember a coach walking up to me and he said, what have you done with Hank? Like what, you know, this, and you just ran away from everybody. I, yeah, I remember that. And that was, I was, was like, fun. 
pounding my chest as a coach, but I was also, right. of course, extremely proud of you. But I, I just, in my head, I thought, okay, that's it. He's top three easy at state. Right. He's got it. Um, this is going to be awesome. And I just, I couldn't believe that you had gone from kind of just more of a mid-pack guy when I first met you to, you know, okay, running a good solid 10-minute, two-mile. But now I'm thinking, ah, we're going to go after Donald's school record, 936, at least, if not faster. Right, right. But cross country was your main sport, so I'm like, I was even thinking maybe state champ, right? And uh, I had other coaches that thought so too. Absolutely, and honestly, my fitness level, I was there. I was. We were doing workouts that Donald did, that was crazy. I mean, I had an engine for sure, but you can't have an engine without a driver, and I did not have a driver. My mindset was not where it should be. And, um, I'll take this moment to kind of backtrack to kind of set this all up. So my senior year, I did win a couple of races. I run two, two races, but when it came to the big stuff, I couldn't do it. Um, I choke. So if we flash back to after state, my junior year in the two mile ran a bad race, I came off the track and I told myself that I have to train harder. I have to train harder. I didn't tell myself that I get to train harder. And something that you preach in the gym now is work plus rest equals success. I did not rest. I didn't let my mind rest. So it was this constant, um, well, Hank, you're not good enough, obviously. So you have to do more work. And it was this negative talk that while it still propelled me to do some crazy, insane workouts, and yeah, I won a race or two, it was just still not healthy. So cross country season comes conference comes to qualify for state. And I placed 18th, something like that. I had a panic attack in the middle of the race because of my mindset, because I wasn't allowing myself to see what I've done. I was only focusing on what I hadn't done. I remember literally thinking that you would have to trip and fall and sprain your ankle and you would still probably make it to state. Like, yeah. and when I did not see you in the top and the top group, I just, I, I had no idea what had happened. And all we really had done to that point was we filled the void with fitness. Absolutely. Yes. And I know yes. after that race, I signed myself up. I had been going to athletes performance Institute for, about four years at that point and uh, doing a mentorship there, but they had a mindset mentorship program that they just released and I signed up for it. And I think it was literally two weeks after cross country was over and I was uh, driving to Scottsdale because I realized that I had to learn more about mindset at this point, which actually led me to read Bobby's book on magical running, Bobby McGee. And eventually one day Bobby is giving me a call because one of uh, our athletes, my athletes here had made the Olympic training team development team. And Bobby was calling me about his training. So I couldn't believe that I'm actually talking to the guy I'd literally wrote the book that was influencing my athletes now, but it all actually started with you. I have you to thank for that. I don't even know if I would have ever met Bobby or talked to Bobby had I not taken that process, but mm -hmm. After that, let's let's talk about how you were able to start feeling the fear and do it in any way, though. How how did you overcome 
the odds here? How did you turn it around for yourself? So, um, going into college, that's a, you know, brand new program, brand new everything. And, um, I had a moment of clarity where it was like, okay, you get to start anew. You get to start anew. And, um, again, even my freshman, sophomore, junior year on my college team, I wasn't very fast. I was trying to figure myself out, figure out where my place was on the team, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I knew that what I did in high school wasn't working mindset wise. I knew that I knew that this wasn't working for me. So I kind of took a step back, was a freshman on the team, was a sophomore on the team. And my junior year of, of um, college, I was like, okay, I think I'm finally trying, like I'm figuring this out a little bit better. Qualified for conference in the steeplechase. Um, for uh, the N N NAIA, you uh, have to hit a qualifying time in order to go to conference, and then you can go to nationals. Thing. So I hit a qualifying time to run the conference meet in the steeplechase. I think Ben Stevens was in that race, so, um, which was awesome. He was another member of Team of Six. Team Six, yeah, he was in Team Six, right at the end. Yeah, that that's he was. funny. You put me in charge of him that for a run, and I was like, why are you, why are you bestowing this responsibility upon me? <laughs> because but. honestly, people looked up to you even even back then i remember i mean logan spudabalski who is he ended up running 153 for his 800 um he was easily one of the more um, talented aggressive guys on the team i remember that even though he was faster than you he really looked up to you and i remember just he would constantly talk about how cool it was to just be able to go out and run with you and and do train do training sessions with you, you were the right person for the job Hundred uh, percent. You have incredible leadership qualities, especially at Thank that you. time in your career. You. So, uh, I, I think Ben pr probably would have uh, really appreciated that he was under your your guys during all that. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I when you when I get that responsibility, I always ask like, why me? But then it's like, okay, you can do this. Um, how would I? How am I going to do this? How am I going to teach them? How am I going to tell them what not to do how am I gonna lead them sort of thing and my junior year I was finally like oh okay I'm an upper classman I can start to um not fix mistakes maybe fix mistakes but I can guide these younger guys in the right direction to where we want to this team to go and this we want this team to be um a reputable program because we were not when I came in as a freshman we were not a reputable team and can I say that, or let's ask you this, taking on that kind of role and responsibility, th is that a way to reduce your anxiety? Was that a way to enjoy the process? You know, now that you ask that, absolutely. Absolutely. Because it took, I didn't have to be the top runner. I had responsibility, right? I had to be a responsible person on the team, which I could wrap my mind around. But it wasn't like I had to hit a time. I had to do this, yada, 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 yada. And, of course, me saying had to, that's that's a mindset, right? I felt like I had to rather than I felt like I got to. Um, anyways, so my junior year, I'm finally kind of pulling. I feel like this team is coming together. And then we finally go into senior year. And 
that's when I had, so I raced half of my junior year of uh, track because, or uh, excuse me, I raced my whole junior year of track, but that next training summer session, I could barely run because I had shin splints or not shin splints, excuse me, um, stress fractures in my, in both my tibias. So I was in a boot on one leg. It was, a, it was, it was a nice break for my body, actually silver lining. I didn't get to compete, but I needed that break. And that was something that I didn't do in high school was take a break. Um, so there was a moment of reckoning right before my senior season, my best season of running hands down where I threw around the idea of quitting because I was injured. I was tired. Um, at the time I'm a musician. I had some opportunities in music that were coming up as well. And I talked to one of my teammates about it, Dakota Webb. And he's like, dude, you, you cannot take this opportunity for granted. You need to do this. Like, even if you're injured, like we need you sort of thing. And that was one of the one of the first times where I was like, oh, okay, I am getting recognized. Like, I do matter on the team. Like, I really, really matter on the team. Like, a, a senior, a big component of the team is asking me to stay. And I was like, he's right. I can't just leave these guys. And then that's where um, I had my greatest success was not fighting the friction and just accepting where I was um, on the team and where I was physically. So that was probably my best mental season <laughs> of, of running. No, I, I love that. And, of course, as a coach, I'm always learning. And I wish that I had known then what I feel like I know now a little bit more about developing our athletes' mind and body. But you are part of the reason why I started to learn that. So I see that as my silver lining, and I'm grateful for you for that, I think you definitely made me a better coach. And uh, then what I would also like to do is talk about maybe addressing the injuries a little bit because I do think you had potential for being one of the top guys or one of the scoring team members, right? right. Yep. So let's talk a little bit about with uh, training. Why do you feel like you were getting injured? I, I guess I would say that as your high school coach – I feel like that's what I did right, but then... Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So talk uh, talk about that a little bit, though, because I already said what I did wrong, but you trained very differently physically than you did in high school. Yes, so in, in high school, we were doing... I, I don't even know what the top mileage... We ran a week. We didn't keep track. It was just we do a long run on Sunday, which, um, which was great. I prefer that type of training, if I'm being completely... Yeah. I'm yeah, and to, be, yeah. and to be clear, I knew as yeah. a coach, I, would, I knew guys, <laughs> if you're, some people might be listening going, wait a minute, he should know what he had his runners do. I knew, but I did minutes on purpose instead of miles. That's right. Uh, that's right. We did do minutes. I remember that now. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and the point is that you, uh, I, didn't, I was not concerned with having you guys do just X amount of volume is the point. And we found what worked well for you and it was quality over quantity and i believe that every runner can develop or should develop a base and quality and then you can slowly add on a little bit more of the quantity mm -hmm. if it if you need to if it's appropriate if it works for you if you've kind of topped out and now you you can maybe benefit from a little bit of additional uh quantity then maybe that is a route you go but 
strength training obviously was a big part of what I taught you, but you yes. got away from that. Yes. Um, Let's talk about that so a little bit. When I, when I went into college, it was more of a traditional old school cross program, high mileage, low weight, high reps, um, sort of thing, which, um, you know, retro hindsight is 2020. If I, I wish I had the confidence and, um, foresight to go and talk to my coach about it say, Hey, I don't think this is going to work for me sort of thing. Being the respectful kid I was, I decided to go along with it. I, this is a new training thing. Let's find out what happens sort of thing. And that, by the way, happens to pretty much most of my collegiate runners right, right. because they're respectful and because they signed up. If I'm going to run for yeah. this coach, mm -hmm. then I need to buy in. And Absolutely. so you, you know, you're right to, to buy in and do what the coach is asking you, right. but the volume was higher and the strength training was, um, well, I don't believe that there was, there was enough science in my humble opinion behind the strength. And when you talk about uh, so many runners, distance runners that are already getting in a lot of accumulation and then they go into the gym and they just do high reps with moderate or light weight i don't i don't see how that's serving we're not them. trying to train for a hypertrophy here which is that's the <laughs> kind of the only rep range that would even make sense at you know we're not trying to get jacked uh we're trying to incorporate strength training and how it's going to enhance our running performance which we talked all about this a few episodes ago in our concurrent strength training for the endurance athlete so for more in-depth picture you can go go to that but before we even hopped on the on the mics we were talking just on how kind of ridiculous the huge jump in volume is in regards to miles when you go from the high school to the college level and there's not a lot of things i mean injury prevention isn't a thing we like to use injury risk reduction and even then there's not a lot of things that are in our control but one of the first sure things we can do is avoid huge uh increases in volume and especially when it doesn't make sense so the, the race distances in high school and college are pretty much the same you're still doing 1600 mm -hmm. 3200 5k for cross country so that doesn't really warrant you having to jump from 20, 30 miles a week all the way up to 70 within one mesocycle. That makes no sense, and you're asking for problems. Let's talk for a second, though, about we had a nice conversation with runners who are endurance runners in general. They are a different kind of athlete, and it's not an absolute. Everyone, everyone's their own person, but in general, they tend to not have as much of the coordination for some of the more complex, compound, Olympic-type of movements. And yet what I see or hear about a lot of times is, well, you're just going to grab the heavy bar, no extra weight, and then do 20 to 30 reps of that because you're not very strong, but so that'll be good for you and it won't hurt you. I, I completely disagree, and I, and I think you're wasting energy, but I also think that you are potentially setting yourself up for – uh, for failure, because the my answer to accumulation in these miles is mechanical loading, and the mechanical loading has to be sufficient enough that your body needs to change, make changes from the stress. So, Billy, you have a lot of experience yourself learning these more Olympic type of uh, lifts because you chose to do that and learn that, and it took you a couple years, didn't it? Yeah, well. What Hank was saying earlier, too, about taking a break, I think that helped me as well. I rode in college, and even though I was still participating in a sport, it took some breaks off of running, and I got to explore different 
training modalities. And one thing I got into, uh, like probably 2017, it was I started learning the Olympic lifts and then how that tied in with CrossFit, tr started learning the fundamentals there. And it was a lot of fun, something I wanted to do. But yeah, I had a solid two years maybe where that's all I was doing was honing in my technique for these very specific sports that the movements, if you can do them correctly, can be incorporated into a runner's program. If, you know, I was doing snatches before we came in here and I'm, my technique is <laughs> nowhere near perfect. It's one of those things that even the top athletes are going to be working on for a lifetime. But if you can do it to the extent where you're comfortable and you're obviously programming it intelligently, it can serve as a really good adjunct in your power training. But I'm never going to be, hey, telling people, um, you have no experience in a different sport. Like, okay, let's let's try a high diving to help you running out. Or let's try CrossFit, which is a sport in itself, or the Olympic lifts. And they have no experience there. You're, you're not going to get anything out of that. And even if you wanted to, it's not going to be worth taking the time to teach them that, especially during their peak season and even in their off season. It's just going to be a waste of time. And you can sub those movements with something more useful. Yeah, because as a strength coach... I want to be very clear that I don't teach Olympic lifts, not because I don't like them, but because I don't have the amount of time with an athlete for them to really learn to execute them properly. In other words, we need to figure out what's going to give them the best bang for their buck in about six to eight weeks. A lot of times that's all I really have. And even then, I sometimes I'm really talking about three-week blocks. So we let's just stick with the not the bells and whistles, but the base movements that are going to be maybe a little bit more simple. But you can execute them, and you can if you need to, for example, work on getting stronger through your hip hinge, which you know we'll take the deadlift as a good example. I always say that that is a huge movement that you, we need to be able to get stronger in. Runners are really just about any athlete I can think of, but the actual hip hinge can be done a hundred different ways. So I'm going to take somebody who might not uh, have the time to learn a full progression in the deadlift. We're going to have them doing a hip thruster with a heavy bar at their hips you just uh, have to load up the weight a little bit more uh, progressively as they're learning the movements, just like you would in any other strength progression. But it's something that they can learn very quickly and exec execute really well. Which, and yeah, and that's usually the situation you're going to be faced with. Like to paint a hypothetical, which probably never happened and <laughs> waiting for the day it does. If someone comes into you, they're an e intermediate level runner. They've been at running for a couple years now and they say, hey, uh, I want to drop my mile time by... By, by 20 seconds, I want a PR. And, you know, you give them an evaluation, maybe go through their history, and they tell you, oh, yeah, I also um, did Olympic weightlifting for uh, seven years. And I'd be like, um, okay, sick. Maybe we'll throw <laughs> some power cleans in here because <laughs> I'm pretty confident I know what you're doing. Uh, but uh, outside of that, there's just so many other movements that aren't as technically demanding that you can still get a good dosage out of as far as concurrent training and helping those athletes um, basically just increase their speed. Yeah, and, and so hopefully people listening to that, the, the main takeaway is this. Do I have my distance runners do deadlifts? Yes, some of them do, especially if they spend years with me. And so we were just talking about Rosie Linkus earlier, who's a wonderful 800 runner, and she was one on, on one of our earlier podcasts as well. 
and got to the point where she was lifting two and a half times her body weight with really good form and it gave her great results. But those, that strength that she gained has to be transferable. It has to be relative and transferable. And it's all to me about risk versus reward. Well, and two here, and we're big proponents of giving our athletes options. So just because we may, and per, personally, I have a bias. I think the barbell lifts are fantastic. And if the person likes them and can do them, uh, I'm definitely one that wants to utilize them. But also, if an athlete comes in and says, hey, I just I don't really like deadlifting or squatting. Is there something else I can do? And the answer is 100%. And if they love hip thrusts, like, awesome. That's that's a great substitution. Uh, you know, they're not powerlifting. So it's not like it needs to be super specific that they need to be doing deadlifts with a straight bar uh you know a hip thrust would work perfectly for that person uh so i really like i think just seeing talking to the athlete and saying hey what do you want to do and if you're the competent coach which we all know matt is versus some of the other people out there i know i'm not going to try to talk too much crap but that's going to be something that we can incorporate into the into the training program yeah well thank you billy and i don't i just want to mention too we're talking a lot about the deadlift and bars and but I see plenty of athletes, especially when we do an assessment on them, they're not doing push-ups properly either. So we can, we can do a disservice to ourselves with calisthenics as well. Push-ups and pull-ups are two of my big pet peeves. Or, gosh, you know, sit-ups. I mean, crunches. I mean, you know, look, this, we have to understand the science behind the training. And so... I might teach an athlete how to do a proper curl-up instead of a sit-up. I might uh, teach an athlete how to do a proper push-up. We may start with some sort of lateral progression is the way I'd rather think of it. So instead of a regression, it's just this is something we can do in the push-up now by inclining your position. You can do it well, but now you can really pay attention. We can slow the movement down. We can make sure that you're ripping the ground apart or the bar apart, depending on where you're at and having your elbows in the right position so that you actually get better in your arm swing. And we can focus on pu uh, pushing with the scapula or pulling with the scapula first. That's, for example, a thing that I see a lot of times being done wrong where the athlete is doing a pull-up with their biceps instead of really knowing how to uh, retract the scap, how to squeeze the scap, how to recruit the lat, in other words, because that's why they're doing it in the first place. So why are you doing more pull-ups if it's just all going into your arms? You're not trying to get your arms bigger, and you're certainly not trying to stress your anterior capsule in your shoulder, and which will only make your running gait harder. Yeah, what's the intention? And what thinking about exercise sucking too, just another example, you know, a lot of people point to, oh, you know, I do squats and deadlifts and all these compound movements. Therefore, I don't have to work my abdominal muscles because uh, research shows, like, you have the say, same EMG activity with a, uh, a forearm plank as in a back squat. And it's like, yeah, that's true, but what's the stimulus to fatigue ratio there? Matt, would you rather do five sets of squats at uh, – five sets of six, let's say, at 80% of growing rep max or, um, I don't know, five sets of 30-second planks? And if you answer the first one, then you're clinically insane because <laughs> any experienced person would know – like that's incredibly fatiguing and going into a workout we're going to be doing five sets of squats at that intensity like you're you're like looking at the white light you know jesus take the wheel like you're probably getting buried so yeah that has the same activation on my core but um maybe i should just do planks instead so i'm not fried for the next training session yeah and i would uh say that you can learn more about this in my 
training program on our app. Mm. Oh, see, we, we put that in oh, there. Shameless plug. Full shameless circle. plug. Hey, you know what? I, I never, if you ever listen to my podcast, I never plug, but we, we do have programs, and I do believe it can serve people well because I don't expect people to understand these concepts. You, you shouldn't know all these things unless this is your passion, but I do put more uh, ownership of that onto coaches. I think that if you're going to coach these things, you better know the science behind it. And it's simply about what's relative. And for you, Hank, in high school, I will say myself is your fitness was really good. Your progressions were very good. You didn't deal with um, injuries, no, no, no injuries, sometimes little niggles here and there, but no real injuries. But yet when you got into college, not doing that work, I think you, you uh, look at a couple years later, you didn't have the same strength bone bone density wasn't addressed as as much as it was when you were younger Mm -hmm. right absolutely and let's conclude with just talking about the aerobic side of things because i know again bumping up in mileage it's the idea a lot of strength coaches have is you want to get good at running you got to do more running which i you have to do enough running don't get me wrong but this is where i have um, a lot, a, a very different viewpoint, I think. And I do remember we talked about this before the podcast. So, um, I, I know that this is, you really liked your coach and he was a good coach in many ways, but I do remember that he didn't get my programming for you. Right. And I had done a lot more VO two work with you because you were kind of that steady forever kind of runner, um, where you really had really good LT levels and really good tempo runs, steady state runs. You would just crush those. So to me, I want to work more on your VO2 max. And even early on, we would do that. And it served you really well, in my opinion. So talk a little bit about how that changed for you and what you think about how that might have changed the results for you. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, when when we started running training for – uh, my freshman year of cross country, my it was a total shock to my system. My my body was not used to doing that type of training, and because of that, mentally, there was uh, lost confidence in my ability ability to run. And on top of that, I I knew that I needed to address my anxiety, race anxiety, to some level. So I mean, when you, how how many miles a week did you start off with your freshman year? I think it was around sixty. Okay, so 60, you which is drastically more doubled yeah. your miles really. Yeah, that's that's what I So right off the bat, I'm sorry, but even if even if you're if you even if you should build up to 60 or 70 miles a week, you doing it in the in your first year and really mm-hmm. within months of finishing high school is just wrong. Totally. Yeah, and it's I mean, my body reflected it. Um just and your mind and my mind absolutely and my mind both are connected both are connected and parents out there if you have kids going into college or if you're an athlete listening Mm -hmm. yourself that looking at running in college talk to your coaches these coaches that will be basically running your programs and Mm -hmm. and you you know you're you're there running for them you do what they tell you to do you have to make sure that it's going to work for you. Don't go yes. run for a coach that isn't going to consider these things. No, and I was – so if I could go back and do it all over again, I'd do exactly what you were talking about. I would have taken our, the, our plan from summer and said, look, this is what I'm doing now. I know this works for me. I know that – what can we figure out? What 
what do you like? What do you not like? We got to figure out a compromise because I do want to run for you, but there's, I want to be able to still run and I want to feel like I want to run sort of thing, um, which I didn't do. I was enamored with the fact that I was going to go run in college also because I thought that that was just, well, I have to do that because I'm, I'm a good cross country runner in high school. I have to go to college and run sort of thing, which I realized later it's, that's not the case. You're still a person. You're still a reputable individual. And so I, that's a, that's a big thing from, if I could sum up my entire cross country career in one um, sentence, it'd be, you are a person before you're an athlete and you can use that for anything. You are a person before a trainer, person before a student, person before sort of thing. Right. So, um, so powerful to, to bring it back to the training aspect. Yes. The training was, so drastically different it affected both my mind and my body and it was something that i had to address um further on my sophomore and uh junior year i would come back for the summer i think i trained with you for one summer in between that but i'd still just come back to the gym and i knew that i had to do band work so i started doing that towards the end of my career and i knew that there were certain couple of modalities that I needed to do in the gym to feel confident single leg squats with with weight that was a huge for during track season I knew I had to do that in order for me to feel um, like I could run fast so um, definitely if you're listening to this talk to your trainer talk to your coach figure out what works for you and present it to them in a way that you you can figure out how it can work for everybody. I, I think that was a great way to sum that up. And <clears throat> I do want to mention Shirley and Todd Bingham. Yes. And your dad. beautiful sister, Hannah, <laughs> who all have uh, been a part of my life at one point or another as well. Your sister uh, trained here, Shirley, your mom trained here. Your dad, no, but he would always kind of talk to me and ask me advice for Spartan and stuff. Yep. He's an amazing <laughs> yep. guy. And uh, you have such a strong anchor with your family. I was always so – I used to talk to your mom quite a bit. I remember we came back from a track meet where we actually snowed on the snowed in on the other side of the mountain. Was that Rockland? Yes. Oh, that was a great, that was a great meet. Absolutely. <laughs> that was a good one. You were, you were a beast out there just running like a warrior in the rain and sleet. Not, he's not called Hank the Tank for no reason. Heard that. <laughs> <laughs> But it was really in that conversation where I realized how fortunate you were to have the family and the parents that you do because, and they also sacrificed a lot for so much. I, I, I'm very grateful for what my family has done for me. Amazing people. They really made it work for, for, uh, you know, for their, for, for their kids, but they were an anchor, a rock for you guys. And I would say that with any of my athletes that I'm working with over a period of time, you'll see what kind of a support system they have around them with, with the right support system, with the right culture, we can always thrive. And even if we don't get there right away, guys like you always end up on top. And so I, I would say that, uh, more than myself, more than, uh, any other coaches or influences, I think that your parents, um, really are the ones that, uh, were your anchor, and I, I think that uh, they at least deserve a little bit of a, a recognition in this podcast. So, guys, just know I have complete respect for you, for you guys, your parenting, 
Anything else you want to conclude with there, Hank, before we get going? You know, um, again, thanks for having me on. Uh, if I had to just say one last thing, anybody out there, if, please, if you have a problem with your training, with your coach, with your mindset, anything, go talk to them about it. Because I didn't, I didn't talk to, I don't, I never really brought up the fact that I had race anxiety to you in high school. And I would have, I don't know if the outcome would have been different, but I know that I would have enjoyed that experience more. So, um, and that goes, I mean, for anything, go talk to the person who you, you think can help because odds are they probably can't help. That's wonderfully said. All right, guys, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.